Welcome to the Renew Life Church podcast. No matter what situation we find ourselves facing, we know that God wants to speak clearly to us. So wherever you're listening from today, we want to thank you for being here. Grab a cup of coffee and join us as we tune in to our Sunday conversation. Well, good morning, Renew Life Church. Welcome to church. Whether you're live with us here in the Cole Theater or watching online, we're just glad you're here. Uh, glad you came to church in whatever form that is. In fact, uh, if, you're, if you're in church online and you're still in your pajamas and you're sitting on your couch, we envy you. That's where we want to be. Some of you, I remember early back when we started the online church, y'all would send your pictures from your beautiful deck in the mountains. Uh, and we hate you, but we are glad you're still coming to church because you need salvation for letting us all see how beautiful your new church is. So uh, we're glad you're here. We're going to jump right into today. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, last week we started a series. Uh, well, I didn't know for sure it was going to be a series. We started a two-part message. It's probably a better way to say it. Uh, on the Lordship of Jesus. And I feel really, really strongly that as a church, uh, not just us as a church, but I believe as the church, the big C, uh, God is changing how he talks to his people. God is changing how he's dealing with his people. He's revealing a new aspect of his character, a new aspect of his nature to his people. I, I, I know for me personally, the last 10 years of my life, I have been made aware of the goodness of God like never before. The, there's just been this, this push in my own personal life to understand what the finished work of the cross did for me, how it put me uh, in a place of right standing with God that I had access to the Father, I had access to the love of God. And it's like as I pushed into Jesus, just the Bible says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And as I began to press into Jesus and what it meant for him to become my righteousness and make me and put me in right standing with him, all of a sudden it connected me to the love of the Father in an incredible, incredible way. And so for the last 10 years, I know from my personal life, Getting to know that has changed my life forever. And I think that I'm not the only one that would say that. I think God's been doing this. He's been raising up people all across the planet that have introduced us to what it might actually mean to say those words when, it, when Jesus said those words on the cross. It is finished. It actually meant it is finished. The work of our salvation had been done. The work of our righteousness had been done. And he made that salvation and he made that righteousness available to us for free by faith through his son, Jesus. And so I know that's been huge for me. Uh, I do feel, however, there's a bit of a shift in, in, in what God's asking from his people. Uh, we weren't just, God didn't just come as our salvation. He didn't just come as our righteousness. He actually came to do some transforming. He actually came to to transform us, I should say, into a people ready to do good works. There's actually some things he wants us to do. There's actually some things he wants us to become. And that's one of the things I think this, this two-part message is about. If you missed last week, I want to read from Philippians chapter 2, which is what we read from last week. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you. In other words, this is how you're supposed to think. This is how you're supposed to approach things, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, I'm telling you to think this way. I'm telling you to approach things this way because this is how Jesus approached things. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. So the first thing he did, first thing Jesus made up his mind to do was humble himself and serve. I believe with all of my heart, one of the initial postures of the heart when you, once you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior should be a desire to serve. Next word, equally important, 
and coming in the likeness of men, he found and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. That is almost a taboo word in, in some cultures of church anymore that God actually wants you to obey him. It's like, yeah, but obedience is all about the law. No, obedience is about God being Lord, <laughs> Jesus being Lord. He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In other words, at the name of Jesus, every person should, every knee should go low. Every person should go low and put him in the high position that he belongs in. Of those in heaven and, on those of, and, and of those on earth and of those under earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're talking about. Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus. I don't think anybody on the planet, well, I should say any Christian, if asked the question, is Jesus the Lord of your life? It's a snap automatic answer. Well, of course, Jesus is the Lord of my life. But I want to ask you again, is he really? Is Jesus really the Lord of your life? Last week, we answered two questions, which is, I think are maybe the two most important things that we have to know that Jesus is the Lord of. Number one, Jesus is the Lord of our salvation. Jesus alone, when we confess him as our Savior, we get to say, I am no longer in, char in charge of my salvation. I am, my works, my obedience, my this or that is no longer the determining factor of whether I spend eternity in heaven or hell. Jesus, because the Bible says this uh, in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, 23, it says that the wages of sin was death. Death is what we deserved as sinners, but Jesus came as the Lord of our salvation. He died the death that our sin deserved so that we could, we could live for eternity, never have to die, and always have the promise of eternity with him. Number one, first and foremost, Jesus is the Lord of our salvation. And then number two, that might be equally as important, especially as we are continually being transformed into the image of Jesus and into the image of what he, he's, the, the life that he's created us to live. Jesus is also the Lord of our righteousness. Jesus is the Lord of, and we use this word, and I'll read this in just a second. He's the controller. He's in control of my righteousness. He's in control of my right standing with God. That word control, it comes from the, the, the Greek word, uh, Lord, in that scripture we read in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 11, when it says, Jesus Christ is Lord, that word Lord. And, and it's actually the same word that's used almost every single time in the New Testament referring to God. They don't just refer to him as God. He's referred to as this Greek word, Kyrios, K-Y-R-I-O-S, which is the word Lord, which means supreme in authority, controller, and by implication, master. Supreme authority, controller, master. Jesus is the master. He is the controller of your salvation. He's the master. He's the controller of your right standing with God. And I can promise you this, you don't want anything else in control of your salvation. You don't want to be in control of your salvation. You don't want to be in control of your right standing with God. Why? Because particularly our right standing. Well, salvation, obviously, but even our, our, our right standing. I don't want something else in, in control of my right standing with God because if I'm not in right standing with God, I don't have access to the presence of God. 
I don't have access to that close, personal, face-to-face relationship with God that Jesus came to give us. In fact, that's why when, the, when, when Jesus said the words, it is finished, the veil of the, of, the, of the Holy of Holies, the Bible says the veil was rent, it was torn, it was ripped in half. And this wasn't so, some thin, lacy curtain. This was some thick, thick curtain, and it was ripped apart. So when Jesus said it was finished, what that was symbolic of is we now, all of us, not just priests who had done all the ceremonial things to make themselves holy, to make themselves right, getting rid of all the sin, all the things, sacrificing all the animals. No, 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 none of that. What he was saying is now we, every single person has access into the presence of God. Why? Because it is finished. We are now in right standing with God because Jesus is the Lord of our righteousness. I, um, I want to continue this, but I, 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 want to, I want to take it a little step further. I actually want to take it a little more practical today. We talked about Jesus as Lord of our salvation. We talked about Jesus being the Lord of our righteousness, but I want to go a step further into some practical things of what does it mean? Uh, I read this scripture last week, and I want to read it again because I think it's so important. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, So the Word became human and made His home among us. Jesus has always given us something concrete to, uh, to, to represent him, to represent his word, to represent the way he wanted things done. In the Garden of Eden, they had a tree. And under the, under the law, they had uh, 10 commandments written in stone. And as new covenant believers, he saw, he saw fit. He made sure that we had the Bible. We had the word of God. And the Bible teaches us right here in John 1:14 that Jesus himself became flesh. I'm sorry, Jesus himself. The, was the Word, and that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What that means for me and you is there's, we don't have to abstractly know what Jesus wants, what He is, how He thinks, what He expects of us. It's not this, we don't have to go on our feelings because, can, let's just all be honest, we've got all kinds of feelings, and your feelings will lie to you. Even even after you were born again, let's just remember, your, your mind, your will, your emotions, they were not the things that got born again. It was your spirit that was born again. It was your spirit that was made right with God. It was your spirit that was perfected. The way you think was not perfected. The decisions you make was not perfected. The way you feel about certain things was not perfected. And so uh, Jesus, his nature is manifested, made manifest in the Word of God, in the Bible. We can know how He feels, how He thinks, how He wants us to behave by reading the Word of God. In fact, equal to Jesus is the Lord of my life should be the Bible is the Lord of my life. Jesus is in control of my life. Jesus is the master of my life means the Bible is in control of my life. The Bible is master in my life. These are these are strong words. These are hard words to hear. I think we live in a day and an age when we don't want to be told, more than ever, more than I, I, more than I can remember, we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be controlled. We don't want to have to submit to anything. I can attest there, there's possibly two, probably two things going on right now. One is the... <laughs> The spirit of darkness is trying to manipulate and control people to get us under control of something that would send us in a wrong direction. But I believe with all of my heart that that is a, uh, an imposter, that at the same time, the, the enemy is in, in introducing this imposter spirit because at the same time, God is trying to reteach us or get us to put him back as the Lord of our life, put him back 
in control of our life. Put the Word of God back in control of every single aspect of our life. The Bible is master. The Bible is in control of every area of my life. Like I said, we talked about Jesus, Lord of our salvation. We talked about Jesus, the Lord of our righteousness. But I want to I want to talk about some more practical things. Jesus is also supposed to be the Lord of your soul. He's supposed to be the Lord of your soul. I already alluded to this, but your mind, your will, and your emotions. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your mind. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says, taking every thought captive, but it doesn't end there, to the obedience of Christ. Make your thoughts Line up to the lordship of Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I don't think there's an area where as believers we are more attacked. We are more um, susceptible to uh, confusion, um, temptation than, than thoughts. And I, I would probably butcher it if I tried to, if I tried to um, quote it, but it's something along the lines of our thoughts become our beliefs, our beliefs become our actions. And so like, I believe everything, every sin, every good deed and or bad deed, deed, if you want to put it that way, I believe it starts as a thought. It starts as a little thought in your mind as, as the enemy or God, one of the two, planting something in your mind. And it's understanding the two. That's why he says, take every thought, every single thought, captive to the obedience of Christ. Some are the thoughts of Christ. Some need to be taken captive and made to obey Christ. Jesus wants to be the Lord of our mind. I'll I'll say this. I'll be very, very transparent. There's been seasons in my life where the enemy has come and tried to, in my mind, convince me of something. I would, I'd be walking down the street or whatever, and I would see a, I would see a pretty lady, or I'd see a pretty uh, a girl, and all of a sudden, me, uh, me looking and go, oh wow, that's a pretty person. The thought would cross my mind. The, the, the enemy would plant the thought, the thought in my mind. Oh, you're perverted. You're in lust. You're one step away from, you're one step away from an affair. And he would stop, he would start bombarding my mind, start bombarding my thoughts with uh, accusations with shame, with guilt. And this is what I had to learn to do. I had to make him the Lord of my thoughts. I had to make him the Lord of my mind. How? By doing exactly what his word said. Take every single thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You don't get rid of wrong thoughts silently. I would, I would open my mouth and I would declare my, my purity because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I would declare out of my mouth, I would declare, no, I am, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am not a pervert. I am not in lust. I, I am not any of those things, those accusations that the enemy wants to try to bring against me. And, and I, I literally had to recreate in my mind who I was. I had to recreate. And what I was doing is I was in my mind, with my words, I was making Jesus the Lord of my mind. He's supposed to be the Lord of our soul, which means our mind, our will, and our emotions. He's the Lord of our will. In other words, he's the Lord of the decisions that we make. Jesus actually needs to be given lordship over every single decision that we make. You heard me talk about this last week, about how Leanne and I, particularly me, we decided to have two kids. Never, never asked the Lord, hey, how many kids do you think I should have? Do you understand the Lord cares about how many kids you have? The Lord has an opinion. He has a will in the area of family. The Lord actually cares about where you work. The Lord actually cares about where you go to church. The Lord actually cares about who you marry. He actually cares about 
where you can send your kids to school. And not only does he care about those, he has a plan. He has a perfect plan. And a heart of humility says, Lord, in every single area, every one of these areas, I submit my will to your will. I submit my will as it pertains to children, as it pertains to marriage, as it pertains to which one, is this my wife or is this my wife? Is this my husband or is this my husband? Is, is this the church I'm going to go to? Is this? No, I submit every single area of my life, every part of my will to his will. Just like Jesus said in the garden, not my will, yours be done. Jesus wants to be the Lord of every decision you ever make. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your emotions. Jesus actually has a way emotionally that he responds to things. And I, I won't go into too, too much depth on this one because there's some other things that I want to get to. But he actually, if you read his word, you can see, you can see how Jesus' emotions affected what he did and how Jesus' emotions did not affect what he did. You can see how when people rejected Jesus, Jesus didn't start identifying himself as a failure just because people rejected him. You can see how when Jesus saw the broken, when Jesus saw the hurting, emotion, compassion uh, rose up on the inside of him. And from that position of that emotion of compassion, he began to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. He, Jesus was in control of his emotions. His emotions weren't in control of him. His emotions didn't dictate what he did every single time. He submitted his emotions to the will of God. Our, our, our emotions are supposed to be submitted to the will of God. They're supposed, Jesus is the Lord of our emotions. Let me say this. This is an, uh, one that I want to kind of harp on <laughs> for just a minute. Uh, Jesus is the Lord of our beliefs. Why don't you think about that? Jesus is Lord. The Bible is Lord. Say it another way. The Bible is in control of our beliefs. The Bible's actually supposed to control what we believe about every single thing. One of the problems that we're dealing with right now in, in certain parts of culture is people have just decided what they believe, not submitted what they believe to the Bible. Well, I just believe, I, you, you see this, this alarming trend in the area of homosexuality where I'm, I'm watching this, especially at a younger and younger age and more and more people deciding that they must have been born gay. They were born a homosexual, and then they just equally just decided that because God loves us, he's okay with what I've decided. That somehow God's love, God can't love you and also tell you who you are, what you are, and what you're not at the same time. We've just decided that this is what's right and wrong. We've just, I was joking with Leanne the other day. Uh, it's, it's like a thing now. Like uh, young people just get to decide what's cool. It doesn't even have to be cool. We went to this coffee shop the other day, and it's like these friends of ours are like, oh, you got to go to this one coffee shop. It is, it is, oh, by far the best coffee shop in Lubbock. And we go to this coffee shop, and it is a rat hole. It is a rat hole. It is disgusting. It is nasty. The coffee was decent. It was on the, it was just, it was terrible. And every person that we talked to was like, oh, no, you want good coffee. This, I won't say the name of it so you don't know which rat hole I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> they just decided. It's like, who gets to this? When did we start just deciding? It's like I was, giving a, I was giving one of our staff members a hard time. He's standing right over here about what shoes he wears. Like what shoes are cool. It's like, oh, that, 
that shoe is, that shoe is cool now. It looks like a bath toy of my two-year-old. It, but somehow we, we, we just decided that it's cool. Like we decided that it's cool. No, no. Can I just say this? We, and I'm, I'm joking about the shoes, but can I just say this? We don't get to decide anything about what we believe. We get to submit everything about what we believe to the word of God. We don't just get to decide. We don't just get to say, well, well, I just believe. I think I talked about this several weeks ago, and I know I'm kind of like working myself up because this is like a passion of mine. But it's like, we need to introduce this into our everyday life. When you're deciding what you believe or deciding what you're going to do, introduce this phrase, says what scripture? Says what scripture? Well, I think blah, 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 okay? Says what scripture? Because if the scripture is Jesus, if the scripture is the word of God and the word of God is the Lord of my life, which means the word of God is in control of my life, then I don't, I don't come up with what I believe. I learn what I believe by studying the Lord of my belief. I don't just get to one day and say, this is what I believe or, or this is what, no, no, no says what scripture, as it pertains to anything. Well, this is what I think we ought to do with our kids. This, this is the way we, I, oh, this one gets me. I know I'm getting all worked up. This is, we've decided to not spank our kids anymore. Okay, says what scripture? If Jesus is the Lord of your life, mind you, he's the one that created them little suckers that you get to raise. <laughs> we don't get to decide how to raise his kids. What scripture gave you the right to decide how to raise your kids? We do what the Bible says to do. And if foolishness, like the scripture says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child and the rod of correction, and mind you, not just staring at the rod of correction. Oh, I looked at the rod of correction and foolishness just ran. No, no, taking the rod of correction, applying it to the skin of the buttocks. The rod of correction drives that foolishness out. How in the world, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, did you just decide one day how you were going to raise his kids? This is everything. This is every area of life. When did you just get to decide? I'll tell you when you decided. When you decided that he was no longer the Lord. That's what you decided. When you made that decision, when you decided, here's what we're going to do with our marriage, or here's how we're going to handle our marriage, or here's what I'm going to do in this situation, or when you decided that, what you were deciding was that Jesus is not the Lord of all of my life. I said this last week, I'll say it again. If he's not the Lord of all of your life, he's not the Lord at all. Is he, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We don't get to decide what we believe. We get to discover what we believe by getting to know the word of God, by getting to know the Jesus in written form. This is how we discover what we are supposed to believe. I have to dig in. And, and let me just say this. You will regularly run into things that are his way of believing that won't be your way of believing. And let me just tell you, yours needs to go down. His needs to go up. Quoted this last week says there's a way that seems right into a man. Our culture is trying to convince us that if we are against homosexuality, we are against homosexuals. 
it is one million percent possible to love the person and hate the sin. It's even possible. Jesus Jesus showed us how to do this. This is he showed us how we can even protect the person and confront the sin. Jesus had a woman caught in adultery, brought him to him. Said Jesus, she was caught in the very act. And what did he do? He defended the person. Then he corrected the sin. What wisdom? If there's a wisdom we need as a culture right now, how do we do that? How does a whole people group, and I'm going to call them a people group because it's really what they are, a people group who identify, who've, cho- who've, who've chosen not to believe that Jesus is the Lord of their life, not to submit their life to the lordship of the Bible, lordship of Jesus, and they've embraced this identity as homosexual. How, how does this whole people group despise Christians more than maybe any other people group? It's because we've not found the wisdom of how do we cover and love the person and confront the sin at the same time. Accept the person. Jesus said it. Hey, he, he wasn't. When Jesus told the woman, I'm, 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 we're your accusers. He ran off all of her accusers, protected her. Was that him saying, was, that, was Jesus' protection of the person his endorsement of the sin? No. Was it even him saying, you're fine just the way you are? Nope, not that either. He's, he got her away from this, this, this position of shame. And then he tells her, now, Go and sin no more, lest something worse starts happening. You think that, what's worse? Getting drugged naked in front of the city and all your junk out for everyone to look at? Like, can we, what is worse than that? Something was or Jesus wouldn't have said it. And what did he say? How do I, how do I make sure something worse does not happen? Stop sinning. Stop doing this thing. Align your beliefs with my beliefs. We have, a, we have a culture right now that's trying to convince us to create what we believe. Just decide what we, we, we believe. No, Jesus is the Lord of my beliefs. I'm going to cruise through these last three because I'm starting to run out of time. Uh, and and they're, they're similar, but I, I felt like I needed to say these. Jesus is the Lord of your time. Jesus is the Lord of your schedule. You don't get to decide what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. Jesus gets to decide that. Why? Because he's controller, because he's master, because he's in authority. I'm going to introduce something right here. Here, and I hadn't planned on doing this. Uh, In fact, I I think I put that scripture in here. Yeah. This is not... This is not God's master plan to make sure that his confidence always stays at a euphoric high because he's always in control of everything everyone does at every moment. Here's a scripture that I want you to get down in your heart. Psalms chapter 37, verse 4. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Notice this, this, this outline of how things are supposed to work. Delight yourself in the Lord. Have a good attitude about him being in control. I love the fact that he's in control. I love the fact that he's the Lord of my life. I love the fact that I'm not the Lord of my life, that he's the Lord of my life. Find your delight in that. Then something happens. Then he starts to say, okay, now, what do you want to do? What's the desire of your heart? Jesus can back the desires of any heart that's submitted to him as the Lord. 
He can get behind. He, he has no problem getting behind any of your desires once he's, he's seen and you've proven that he's the Lord of your life. He actually has placed inside your heart aspects of his nature, aspects of his, his plans for humanity. He's, uh, he's put pieces of him in there. But before he puts his power and releases his power on those things, he needs to see. But first and foremost, am I the Lord? First and foremost, am I in control? First and foremost, am I master? Because once I'm there, and once you love the fact that I'm the master, now I'm going to begin to back what you decide because a submitted heart, there's, there are, there's not a desire to be afraid of if you have a submitted heart. Not a single desire to be afraid of. So yeah, no, when you say, well, I mean, gosh, am I for the rest of my life, uh, God's going to decide what to do with my time? No, but it better start there. And you need to ask yourself the question, have you ever even asked him, what should I do with my time? This is going to come across as bizarre, and it's going to come across as somewhere. The enemy's going to try to say, oh, that's legalism, and that's bondage, and that's shame. Hey, you wear whatever shoe you feel like you need to wear. If the shoe fits, wear it. When's the last time before you missed a Sunday service to do something else that you said, Lord, is it okay? When's the last time that you even asked the Lord if, you, if you, your kids had a, a sporting event and you had a work event, when's the last time you asked, Lord, how would you have me spend my time this time? Should I cancel the work event? Should I cancel the meeting to give time to my kid? Or potentially vice versa, is this thing I'm doing over here, is there some other kingdom thing that you, because we, we have a world of people that want to try to make this thing so black and white. No, every time it's got to be God, family, church, and we've got all these lists of how things go. I'm going to tell you right now, that list is a floating list. And in the kingdom of God, he's wanting you to stay sensitive right in here, in, in your heart. Say, Lord, what, what would you have me do? Submit yourself to, to the, the Holy Spirit. There's nothing, there's no easier way to submit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus than to be submitted to the Spirit of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. And being led by the Spirit of God. But as it pertains to your time, when, do, has it ever even crossed your mind to ask the Lord, what should I do with these four hours? What should I not do with these four hours? About menial things, little, little things that don't seem to matter. Lord, should I this weekend? I should... I've even had this before. I, I know there's been seasons in my life where the Lord had me even ask him uh, during uh, ha holidays, quote unquote, family holidays, which family holidays, we all know you have to go do this, then you have to go do this, and you have to spend this many hours with this side of the family, then you have to spend this many hours with this side of the family. S says what scripture? Have you ever considered that maybe the Lord has, he wants to prove that you to prove to him, and he wants to prove to you his faithfulness, but you'd prove to him, hey, you're in control of my time, not pressure from my family. There's no amount of pressure my family can put on me that would demand my time to be used the way they say my time should be used. What if God's wanting to break something off of your family? What if God's wanting to break a spirit of manipulation and control off your family? What if you're supposed to be the first one that says, no, nobody decides what I do with my time except for the Lord of my life, the controller of my life, the master of my life, whose name is Jesus. He's the Lord of my time. I wrote these down, and nobody, sorry to say nobody wants to hear these. Humble people want to hear this. He's the Lord of your money. And let me just say this. He's not just the Lord of your tithe. He's the Lord of your money. 
the tithe is a good starting point. It's the appropriate starting point where I'm saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my finances. And every time I get paid anything, which is what scripture teaches, every time any money comes into my hands, 10% goes back to you, back to your church, back into your kingdom. And every time I do that, I'm reminding you and I'm reminding myself, this Bible is the Lord of my life. This Bible is the Lord of my finances. And the beautiful thing about that is it's a, it's a great starting point, but eventually Jesus wants to take us from obedient money with our money to generous with our money, where the heart of the Father becomes the heart of the Son, and the heart of the Son becomes, goes around looking for places to give more money, looking for places to be generous, looking for places to express the heart of a giving father to a, to a broken and hurting world. Uh, that's one of my, some of the biggest testimonies in my life have been in the area of finance where the Lord has taught me incredible things about it. But one, one, of the, one of the most favorite things I've ever gotten to do and still get to do is I get to partner with my children who have watched my wife and I live our lives in a certain way where now even they know that we live to give. <laughs> we live to give. We live to give people we live to give away money. We live to be generous to people. We live to serve other people. Where does that, but that's now in my heart, but it wasn't always in my heart, but it's because it started with Jesus, your word is in control of my life, which means your word and the scriptures in this Bible are in control of what I do with my money. They decide, they determine what I do with my money. And if you say before the law, in the law and after the law. If the Bible teaches that today, today, look it up, Scripture, that Jesus himself receives our, tithe, receives our tithes in heaven. That means he's expecting something from every one of us, and he's receiving it, receiving it personally in heaven when we tithe. It started off with me saying, that 10% will never be used for anything. I, I won't even consider doing anything with that 10%. It's yours. It's not my money. Why? Because you're the Lord of my life. This word's in control of my life. I'll end with this one. I'll get off that one so y'all can start breathing again. Um, this, one's, this one's probably going to be one of the most awkward ones. Actually, I actually had two more, but I might have to end here. This might be the most awkward one, but I feel like it, it had to be said. Um, Jesus is the Lord of your body. Jesus is the Lord of your body. Jesus is in control of of your body. Jesus is the master of what you do with your physical body. I want to read a scripture so you won't think I'm making this stuff up. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, keyword holy. I'm going to present my body, my physical body as holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Men and women alike have stopped making Jesus the Lord of their bodies. We've started determining, again, we just decided, uh, I can wear whatever I want. I can wear slow-cut blouse as I want. I can take selfies of my necklace if I want. I can post pictures of my kid uh, on Instagram. Uh, oh, look at this picture of my kid. 
and somehow the kid's hidden by the necklace. As if that is presenting our bodies holy, an acceptable sacrifice, a living sacrifice unto God. I'm, I'm, t- I'm going to tell you what's happened. We are living, there, there's, there's a reason that we're living in the most ridiculous sexual sin culture that I've ever seen. It's because we've stopped believing that he's the Lord of our bodies. Women, we can do whatever we want with our bodies. We can show off whatever parts of our bodies we want to, because after all, it's our body. That's the, that's the excuse we use for abortion. It's a woman's body. I don't have to present my... It, it, and, 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 and by some logic, if it's her body, she can decide what to do with another body inside of it that God created, that God put there. Why? Because it's my body. Even if it is your body, your body is supposed to be presented as a sacrifice, a holy sacrifice to God. I only do with my body what brings him glory. And men are the same way. We're actually supposed to be helping each other out with this thing. I don't know if you get that or not, but women help men out. Men help women out. Men stop objectifying women, and maybe they'll start, stop putting pictures of their necklace on Instagram. Maybe if, you, maybe if women felt like human beings, maybe if we stop looking at porn, maybe if we stop making them some object that helps us get what we want, maybe they wouldn't feel the pressure to give us what we want. Why? Our bodies are not our own. Sex before marriage still matters. Sex before, matter, sex before marriage is not, or, or, or no sex before marriage is not old-fashioned, it's Bible-fashioned. Since when did virginity become old-fashioned? I, I, says, here we go, says what scripture? When did the scripture change? When did, when did presenting my body as, a, as something holy to God, when did that change? I can tell you when it changed. If you go back and read the rest of uh, Romans 12, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's been happening is there's been not enough mind transforming going on and a whole lot of conforming going on. Not enough identity in Christ being done because now it's identity in my physical body. I, I can, that's something I have, it's tangible, it's easy. If I get my body looking good enough and I present my body to the world via Instagram or Facebook, then I'm gonna get some sense of um, acceptance. I'm going to get some sense of worth. I'm going to get some sense of value, which is a perverted value when the value you're supposed to get doesn't come because of your body. It, because, it, it comes because of the body of Jesus being sacrificed for you to make you perfect and blameless in the sight of your heavenly Father. It's been, it, you're replacing the unconditional acceptance of the Father with the conditional fleeting acceptance of culture so long as you keep posting, so long as you keep taking pictures. I bet it's so quiet in this room right now. I'm not there, but I guarantee you it's quiet in here. It, it is, I'll, I'll be really honest with you too. I got daughters. I, I am seeing things because of what, how God's having me raise three beautiful young ladies. I'm starting to see things and sense things. And there's a righteous indignation. I saw a stat the other day, and it was comparing uh, this particular Bible school to the rest of the Christian world. And it was, 
it was celebrating this, this, this statistic. It was celebrating the fact that only, keyword, only 46% of the male students looked at pornography as compared to 54% of most Christian men who look at pornography. How on earth can we celebrate that? How on earth can we celebrate not a, a, a 50% of our young men, 50%, and, and, and remember, these men, these 50% of these men, they're, they're looking at, a, at women who've agreed to this as well, in most cases. When, why is this being celebrated? Because we are not making Jesus the Lord of every area of our life. He is the Lord of our physical bodies. We don't have a right to do with, what our, do with our bodies what we want, and we dang sure don't have a right and should not even want to let our bodies do whatever they want to do because your body will tell you lots of other things. <laughs> Young people, listen to me. Long before you're married, your body's going to start talking and say, well, I want to I touch that. I, I, I want some of that. Your body will lie to you. Your body is not leading you every time to the lordship of Jesus. You have to read, read this scripture, get in this word, and find out what do I need to bring my body in submission to. There should be, there should be a level of class. There should be a level of modesty. There should be something that separates Christian women. It sounds, I know it sounds so old school. We've just stopped... Our culture has stopped letting it be a cool thing to be classy. It's not, it's not cool to be classy. It's only cool to be sexy. I, I, I want something different from my girls. I feel like sometimes I'm preaching to the world I want my kids to grow up in. I feel like sometimes I'm preaching to the young men that I eventually want my, my daughters to marry. I'm preaching to your daughters. I'm preaching to your sons. I'm preaching to the next generation of people that say, it's, culture is no longer the Lord of my life. Culture is no longer in control of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jesus and his word is in control of my body. There needs to be a change. There needs to be an adjustment. And this goes, again, I, that, I, I think it, Young people, I want you to get this, but this goes for all of us. This goes for all of us. This goes for changing why we do what we do in every area of our life. And again, I could go down the, I had a few, actually had a few other things that we could go down, but I think you get the point. In a very practical way, Jesus wants to be in control. We should want him to be in control of every area of our life. From the jobs we pick, to the spouses we pick, to the church we pick, to the number of kids we have, to the clothes we wear, to the things we do with our time, to the things we post on Instagram or don't post on this. He is supposed to be in control of our life. And can I just say this, and I'll close right here. When you understand how good he is and how much good he wants for you, it's not hard to give him control. It's not hard to give control to a good father who only wants good things for his kid. Thanks for tuning in today. You can stay connected with Renew Life Church by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting our website at www.renewlifechurch.com. We love you and hope you feel encouraged from this message today.